0: Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope you've had a great week so far and that you're finding ways to fall deeper in love with God every day this summer. This Sunday will be the first day of August, believe it or not. And that's usually about the time when the summer break begins to wind down and we all start looking ahead to the grind of a new school year, uh, which includes, you know, regular work schedules and, of course, even more of that lovely H-town traffic that we all love so much. Here's my prayer for you as we prepare for the season ahead. Father, thank you for all the blessings of summer, for the gifts of slowing down, for more time with family and friends, for road trips, weddings, and more. With everything that's gone on in the world since early last year, we really needed this summer's renewal more than ever. As we begin to look toward the season ahead, I pray that my story, family, will proceed with courage and conviction courage to face whatever challenges this season may bring, and conviction to keep our priorities straight, even when life gets messy. I pray that we all will prioritize devotion to you through our worship, studying the scriptures, fellowship with other believers, and sacrificial service to those in need. Thank you, God, for your grace, which never fails to forgive the unforgivable, love the unlovable, and redeem the irredeemable. I pray that the story church will faithfully share your grace in all that we say and do during the coming season in Jesus name. Amen. All right. I hope that y'all enjoy this week's reflection about faith and doubt and our younger generations. And I hope that uh, I get to see you this Sunday at one of the stories, worship gatherings, as we talk about the Olympics, which, uh, if you're not excited about them. It's time. Time to talk Olympics at church this Sunday, and uh, what are we training for? What goal are we striving to reach? All right? So here's this week's reflection called Christian Doubt. Everybody seems to think that millennials and Gen Z are losing their religion. I mean, if you read just about any Christian magazine or website, you'll find articles and editorials mourning the lack of faith among these generations. Go to any Christian conference and you'll hear all about how young adults today are biblically illiterate, spiritually uncommitted, and once young Christians leave for college, they say half of them, if not more, will also leave the church. The church's response to this crisis has often been to try and make our churches cooler. To appeal to these young folks, we seem to think that if we just give the kids what they're looking for, they'll keep coming back to church. And while that may be true in some respects. Uh, The reality is that most churches and pastors have been dead wrong in our assessments of what young adults are really looking for today. From catchy sermon topics and worship leaders and trendy clothes to exotic youth mission trips and indoor playgrounds that could rival Disneyland, churches have gone to extraordinary lengths to capture the attention of young people today. And while it's well-intentioned, it doesn't seem to be sticking through their college years and into early adulthood. Our first six years at the Story Church have been amazing so far, but if we're going to fully realize God's dream for this community, I think we need to be really strategic about how we plan to raise our children and our students and our young adults uh, as a community. Obviously, we want young people to grow in their faith and to know Jesus personally so that. They will cling to Jesus once they leave the nest, so to speak. And of course, we hope that one day they will share the love of Jesus with their children as well. Young Christians today are facing more choices uh, in terms of their uh, worldviews and religions than any generation ever has before. They're also asking more questions, big questions, God-sized questions than any generation before. For past generations of Americans, religious identity and practice were largely assumed. But for millennials and Gen Z, things like believing in God and going to church and tithing, for example, are optional choices in competition with other appealing alternatives. Many, if not most of their friends in school, whether they're in elementary school or college or anything in between, many or most of their friends will belong to a different faith tradition or will claim no faith at all. And this raises questions about pluralism, what it means to Live in a world where not everyone believes the same thing. And thoughtful young Christians today want to know if being a Christian means believing God is going to send your non Christian friends to hell for not belonging to the right church. They're also asking questions about the Bible, the afterlife, science and supernaturalism, sexuality and gender, marriage and relationships, money and possessions, and about a million other things. So, how can a church like the story effectively deal with these valid questions and doubts that young people are asking? The importance of this question cannot be overstated. For too many young adults, the church is not a safe place to doubt. Too often, the church is where sincere doubts are met with pat answers and more pizza, kids. Too many millennials and Gen Zers ask questions at school and in coffee shops that they would never ask at church because, in their experience, church is where questions go to die. Encouraging our kids and young people, young adults, to ask their questions and explore their doubts is essential to faith development in the 21st century. Questions and doubts can function as springboards for deeper conversations and eventually for stronger faith. In generations past, our model for Christian education was often content-based. We expected young people to readily consume and digest Christian curriculum. To reach this generation, however, our model for Christian education must evolve. So instead of merely teaching young Christians what to think about God, we should be teaching them how to think about God. One way to do this is to teach young people about the importance of their chosen worldview. Your worldview consists of the most general and basic assumptions that you have about what's real and what's good. For some people, their religion is their worldview. For others, it might be science or patriotism, nationalism, political ideology or party, or maybe your financial status or your your economic class. The preferred worldview these days is one that says simply, I'm open-minded and I'm inclusive. So while I don't claim any specific worldview myself, I respect all other worldviews equally. But the person who says this has a problem because without a defined worldview, you have no way of defining what is real and what is good or what is not real, and what is bad. Inevitably, no worldview, quote-unquote, turns into a me-centered worldview, where the only metric by which to define what is real and what is good in the world is that which is real and good for you alone. Young Christians need to know that the Christian faith is not just some religion. It is a worldview that you can choose. A worldview like other worldviews that are options to our young adults today It is a worldview through which we interpret reality and goodness in the light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Christian worldview stands in radical tension with the me-centered mentality that is so prevalent today. In the Christian worldview, it's not a sin to have doubts and to raise questions about the Bible or God or the meaning of life. It's a sin to have those doubts and to do nothing about them or to have those doubts and let them eat you alive from the inside out. The young Christians need to know that it's fine to be suspicious, as long as your suspicions lead you on a quest to find some answers. It's fine to have doubts, so long as doubts aren't all you have. Doubts in this way are like calories. You need them to live, but if you consume a million of them, and then you just lay around and watch Netflix all day, you'll wind up feeling gassy and you'll hate yourself. Doubt kind of works like that, spiritually speaking. Doubts are healthy when they inspire you to seek the truth. One Sunday after a worship service, a man pulled me aside and told me about his 20-year-old son at the time, who, after being raised in church his whole life, has decided he's an atheist now. With pain in his eyes, this father asked me, what can I do to get my son back in church? And to his surprise, I said, First of all, you need to stop insisting that your son go to church with you. Every time you do that, it feels coercive and manipulative to him, and he's going to take another step back from you and from church. Instead, make yourself available for the conversation that he really wants to have. Say, for example, I'll read one of your favorite books about atheism, and you read one of my favorite books about Christianity. And as we read these books, we'll sit down in a coffee shop or somewhere at home and, and talk about your questions. Maybe I'll have questions, too. You you can talk to your kids this way, especially your 20-year-old kid. Questions and doubts should be encouraged as long as they're leading someplace. Parents might ask, well, don't we need to shield our kids from anything that's not overtly Christian? What if my kid reads some atheist book and then becomes an atheist? (laughs) And I understand that concern. I do. But two thoughts come to mind. First, All of this only applies to parents who are actively engaged in conversations with their kids, parents who are intent on discipling their kids. Second, we've got to stop underestimating the Holy Spirit's ability to walk people through a season of doubt and to lead them back to faith. The Holy Spirit does that all the time. And here's the best part. The Spirit will do that and will simultaneously make unsuspecting skeptics think that coming back to faith was their idea all along. That's what the Spirit did with me through my own season of doubt. And he did the same with all the great Christian thinkers in history from St. Augustine to Martin Luther to Mother Teresa and C.S. Lewis. They all experienced seasons of deep doubt and disbelief. Mother Teresa once wrote in a letter, the place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. That's Mother Teresa. Charles Spurgeon, the great evangelical Baptist preacher, once said, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. It is quite time for us to doubt him. It is quite time for us to begin to say, ah, poor soul, I'm afraid you are not on the road at all. When it comes to Christian faith and doubt, there's been a huge misunderstanding. Too many of us have assumed that faith means blindly believing in something that doesn't make sense. Mark Twain once wrote, faith is believing in what you know ain't so. That's how a lot of us have chosen to look at faith, and we've allowed our kids to grow up looking at it the same way. A few years back, a Harvard University professor wrote an article online insisting that the university remove a paragraph about reason and faith from its general education program. He wrote, "Faith, believing in something without good reasons to do so, has no place in anything but a religious institution, and our society has no shortage of these." How quickly he's forgotten. That his prestigious university, the one that pays him every month his paycheck, was founded by intellectual Christians and was named after John Harvard, an intellectual clergyman himself who wrestled with doubts while maintaining his faith and who donated the first 400 books uh, to the Harvard Library from his own collection. As we look ahead to our next six years as a church at The Story, I I hope and pray that we will continue to create Christian spaces where young believers and skeptics will know that their knowledge and intellect are not the enemies of their faith. Learning new things might seem to threaten your faith in the short term, but over the long haul, your intellect can lead you toward deeper faith in God. Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And of course, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. The Bible is not afraid of human intellect. God is not afraid of our questions and doubts. Contrary to popular belief, young Christians aren't looking to be entertained or spoon-fed at churches. They're looking for a place where they can, in the presence of trusted adults, ask some of their most challenging and pointed questions about God and the Bible and important social issues and other religions. Adult believers should be encouraging younger Christians to express those questions and doubts in their homes and in our churches, insofar as those questions and doubts are inspiring. A Holy Spirit-led search for the truth. I believe that we can trust the Holy Spirit to walk with our children and our students and all of us so that we will emerge from our seasons of doubt with a stronger faith and with a more trusting relationship with Jesus. That's all for this week, everybody. Keep asking those questions, the questions that matter most. Ask them at church, ask them to God, ask them in prayer, ask them to your pastor because doubt can be a catalyst for deeper faith. I love y'all, bye-bye.